It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You are listening. I want to remind you to the fabulous WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Carousel Baird. You are listening to a public affair, and today in the studio with me, live in person in the studio, there is someone sitting in the studio with me. It's Tim, my former engineer, the former, like, fabulous engineer of WRT, <laughs> of notoriety, of uh, Dane County Sun Prairie, all the fabulous things that he does. Be- <laughs> and Tim, you're here in the studio with me today because it's Pledge Week. Because it's Pledge Week, and it is great to be back in the friendly confines of WORT. I was a uh, broadcast engineer working on Carousel Show for a little over six years, and then COVID hit, and that kind of put a downer and everything. But it is great to be back, and Carousel continues on with uh, these fabulous uh, public affairs programs with a great variety, and we have another outstanding program today. And if I have a moment, I just wanted to to mention that uh, we have elections coming up, everybody. And right now, this is your opportunity to cast your financial vote for outstanding public affairs programs by calling in at 608-256-2001 and helping to support outstanding public affairs shows like we have today. Carousel? Well, and what I love, the elections tie in. Nowhere else can you get the conversations that we have here on Ward. Um, Tim, you... We were here together for six years, and you've done so many other shows beyond that. But all the elected officials that we talked to and got these intense, detailed conversations with them that you can't get anywhere else, nowhere else. The call-in shows, you can join the conversation, and really, you care about elections— um, then you care about a public affair and WORT, and now is the time to vote with your money for the work that we do. That's that's exactly right. And you know, you you watch the uh, the local news and everything, and you might get a thirty second soundbite of one of the candidates or something like that. But here, uh, Carousel interviews all of the candidates all of the time. It doesn't matter if it's a primary or a, a main election. We bring them right here to you on WORT, so you can get to know the candidate, become an informed voter. You can call in again with your questions, comments for the candidates. It's really a, it's really a wonderful opportunity and something that we love to, to continue on, and we can do that with your financial support here at WORT. And our goal today is $250. That is what we're hoping to achieve, and guess what? We already have a donor. Woohoo! I wish I had a... Wait, <laughs> I was going to say I wish I had the bell. Here's the bell. There's Let me, the bell. Do I have it ready? We already have a donor. We want to thank um, William Keith from Madison. He likes Wednesday, a public affair. He likes news and talks. He likes experimental music. I mean, nowhere else can you get all of that. Great conversation, great news and talk, great experimental music, except on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. And you can join William Keith and pledge with us, area code 608 256 2001. 
And very uh, briefly, he is getting the Ward Retro Airline Bag, which is one of the fantastic Ooh. premiums that we have available for you. As our way of saying thank you for becoming a financial uh, contributor to WORT. We have um, some great uh, telephone volunteers out there who are waiting to talk to you, and they can tell you all about the other thank you gifts that, that we have for you today. Yeah, we have Karen and Van and Mary Jo so ready to answer your calls. We want to hear the ring. They are here volunteering just so they can support the great work that we do. Tim, you want to tell us the number one more time and then we'll get into today's show? That number one more time for you to call is area code 608-256-2001 or online at wortfm.org. Make your financial support of, of WORT Radio. Yay! Thank you so much and thank you for reminding me. Also, the phone number, but also online, wortfm.org. And we're going to get back to Tim in just a little bit, but I'm ready to kick off our show. And we have a fantastic show lined up today. Um, I feel incredibly lucky. You know, I, I'm we're so honored, the guests that join us on a regular basis, right? You read the New York Times. I read the New York Times. You read all these different, you know, national publications and something stands out as an amazing story and an amazing guest that you want on your show. That is what happened today. Um, the author of the new book, Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls. The book is written by Kathleen Hale, got rave reviews in the New York Times and beyond. I know so many places. I read the New York Times. That's one of my favorite things to start every day. Um, and uh, this if everyone wants to remember the details of it, in May of 2014, two 12-year-old girls stabbed one of their classmates, another 12-year-old girl, here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. It became national, almost international news because they did it because they believed the fictional character Slenderman would kill them if they didn't kill their friend first. They stabbed their friend. Their friend survived. Um, but this book chronicles not just what happened, but also really what didn't happen. The failure of society, the failure of the criminal system to address that these were children with mental illnesses. Morgan and Anissa, the two children, they genuinely believed that Slenderman was real. They genuinely believed that Slenderman was going to kill them or their family if they didn't uh, kill someone first. And this book really breaks down everything that happened beyond the headlines, beyond the sensational, really getting to all the details. Enough of me talking. Let's talk with the author here, Kathleen, Kathleen Hale. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathleen. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about, um, first, what made you want to write this book? What I sort of feel like is a cautionary tale about mental illness. Yeah, well... I grew up in Wisconsin, not that far away from where this crime took place. Um, and so when I heard about it, like the rest of the world, I heard about it online. Um, and I kept waiting for somebody to sort of answer my question for me. And my answer was, why is my home state of Wisconsin prosecuting a mentally ill 12-year-old as an adult? And I thought for sure somebody would take that angle on the story. And so I wasn't even going to pursue it. But as years passed and nobody answered the question and the story continued to focus on Slenderman, I decided to go out and try to get those answers on my own. Um, and I never expected it to take this long. The book, <laughs> I spent five years on it, but it really took me that long to understand the story and all of the different 
legal, medical, social, cultural forces that came together in this case, not only to cause the crime or to enable it to happen, but then afterwards when the punishment phase kicked in. Well, and I so appreciate all the details that you go through and and, and the in-depth of the book, and it's split into two sort of prongs. One is sort of everything leading up to the incident and then everything within the criminal system that um, how how the American criminal system responded and particularly uh, some details in the Wisconsin criminal system that responded to this girls. So let's sort of start with the beginning. Um, The book really details how no one noticed that uh, Morgan had schizophrenia. She later gets officially diagnosed while incarcerated. uh, But there were so many challenges and signs, but her, her family didn't see, even though her father had had a schizophrenic uh, diagnosis. Medical uh, professionals in her life didn't see, her school didn't see. Talk about that. Yeah, so one thing that I learned while reporting on this case is that a lot of our, um, we have a lot of misconceptions about schizophrenia in general, because most of us first interact with it, with it in really extreme cases where, you know, we go downtown, we're in an urban environment, and we see a unhoused person uh, talking to the sky. Maybe they're a little bit dirty. Um, maybe they are, you know, talking about religion or God coming or all of this stuff. Um, but that is what psychosis looks like in schizophrenia. And so when, when you're not in psychosis and you have schizophrenia, you're able to straddle these two different worlds where you're seeing hallucinations, but maybe you can also do well in school. And in Morgan's case, that was what was going on. Her schizophrenia did not become um, uncontrollable for her until, until she reached her first onset of psychosis. And so prior to that, she was able to hide it. And she was able to sort of limp along and do well in school. And her teachers believed, well, I mean, if someone's doing well in school, they couldn't possibly have any kind of mental illness, right? And then as she neared psychosis, which for her, that onset came with puberty. And that often happens with psychosis. There's a hormonal component. In in Morgan's situation, there's also a genetic component. Um, But yes, you're right. A lot of warning signs were missed. Warning signs that in retrospect feel really glaring. Um, The staff at Horning Middle School where Morgan attended uh, in their defense, they were overburdened, underpaid. They were struggling at standardized testing, which of course we know determines school funding, unfortunately. And only 20% of their students were scoring proficient or higher in math and reading. So they were really overtaxed. Um, and Morgan's math teacher, Mrs. Geese, this is just one of many examples of things that Morgan did leading up to the stabbing. Mrs. Geese caught Morgan painting with her own blood in class. And as with a lot of Morgan's other teachers, she responded by just telling Morgan to stop trying to get attention and to go wash the blood off of her hands. And uh, she, because of this, in part because of this, Morgan would later be washing um, Peyton Leutner's blood off her hands in a Walmart bathroom. And I mean, I'm the I'm the mother of a 13 year old right now, a 13 year old and a 16 year old uh, daughters, and I. I know I know they do some odd things and they do some, you know, kids, it's so tricky to find these specific things. And and the fact that her father was dealing with um, schizophrenia, has had schizophrenia, and they still didn't notice it in her 
own family is just really telling. And throughout the book, you weave the conversation of the setting, of the fact that this was Waukesha, Wisconsin, and how the sort of friendly, sort of denial, smile on your face, everything's okay, sort of like quiet Midwestern, don't make trouble, you know, religious and, and, you know, God will keep everyone safe kind of concept. Talk to me about how that was part of um, the storyline of what happened to Morgan. And that's part of your childhood as well. You're, are you from that area in Wisconsin? I'm from, yes, I'm from the mequon Thamesville area. So I was sort of familiar with the kind of culture um, that surrounded this case. And, and it's, you know, it's a very well-meaning, friendly culture where out of kindness, we don't talk about certain things because we don't want to make people feel different. Um, as if, you know, um, that could be the worst thing of all. Um, but, uh, the reality is, is that some people are very different and by acknowledging their differences, they're able to learn about themselves and take better care of themselves. And in this case, Morgan had no resources to understand what she was experiencing in part because there was this culture of silence around mental illness in particular, Um, and, you know, a good example of this is that after the crime occurred, after the stabbing took place on, which was on a Saturday, that Monday, Horning Middle School responded by taking away their students' school issued iPads. And that's all they did. There was no conversation about it whatsoever. Um, Peyton Leutner's parents, uh, she miraculously survived the attack. She's a very brave person. Uh, part of the book is about her coming of age story as well. But, um, her parents have said that, they don't talk. They didn't. They didn't talk to her about the stabbing at all after it happened, because they didn't want to make her upset. And so, even after the crime occurs, uh, there's a lot of silence around what happened. Um, and of course, that's very well intentioned, and it's it's an attempt to uh, protect people's feelings. But um, we need to open up this discussion and and be and stigmatize this issue a lot less. And if we were open about it, uh, this crime may never have occurred, honestly. Well, and that you talked about one of the responses was to take away their iPads at the school. That was the school's only response. And I want to dive into that as well. The conversation of, I mean, as I was reading this book and as you so wonderfully lay all the details out, uh, I felt like something was going to happen with Morgan. Um, She was experiencing schizophrenia, if something was going to happen, she would have uh, found the vehicle to help fuel her paranoia and concern, uh, whether it was in a book or, you know, a movie. It could. She talks a lot about Harry Potter. She talks a lot about other things. It happened in this circumstance to be Slenderman. It happened in this circumstance to be an online character that her friend introduced her to. Um, and so talk to me about it. On some level, it feels like a very false red herring to for everyone to say, oh, it's the Internet's fault, because it wasn't. And yet also the Internet is very different than just reading a book or, you know, reading the Harry Potter books and movies and all of that, because there's so much more interaction and layers and it just goes on and on and on in detail. So I'm sort of torn of the love-hate relationship this book makes me feel about the role um, the internet plays. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so in some ways the title of the book, which is titled Slenderman, is a little bit ironic because, you know, in my opinion, Slenderman had much less to do with this crime than uh, reporting on the case 
would lead you to believe. Um, actually, we have a very, very rich history uh, as human beings of blaming child-on-child violence on whatever the newest form of media is. So um, one very glaring example is, you know, most of us remember Columbine, and that was a shooting that was carried out by um, one uh, person with mental illness and the other person um, was a sociopath. Uh, But the crime was blamed on Marilyn Manson songs and violent video games. Um, And in this case, the media really glommed on to Slenderman because, you know, it's it's easier to demonize the Internet or screen time um, than it is to have these tough discussions about mental illness. I think that by acting as though a screen or a computer or an iPad or whatever could bewitch somebody, we also demonize Morgan um, and treat her as if she has been possessed. And that's one of the ways where uh, satanic panic in our country continues to bleed into our perception of these heinous crimes, because we think a child couldn't possibly do this unless they were evil. Um, And by, by, by labeling Morgan as evil, we dismiss her and she becomes invisible, right? Um, Because there were bigger issues here that we didn't want to discuss and we'll do anything. We'll bend over backwards and invent these demonic presences in our computer in order to avoid talking about it. And it reminds me a lot of Salem witch burnings where people with schizophrenia were tied to a stake and burned and considered witches rather than, you know, thinking about them in more complicated complicated terms. For Morgan, Slenderman became an opportunity to understand her schizophrenia. In the absence of outside resources, he offered a pleasing question, uh, answer to the question that she often typed into Google, which is, what kind of insane am I? And like anyone else, Morgan didn't want to believe that she was quote-unquote crazy. And so if Slenderman was real, then she wasn't insane because she saw things that other people couldn't, but in a world where Slender Man existed, that didn't make her quote unquote crazy. It made her special. It made her a kind of medium for Slender Man. And so she projected her issues onto him as children often do with fictional villains and, and scary stories. They use those narratives as a way to understand their fears and what is going on inside them and in the world around them. And that is just child psychology at its finest. It is not abnormal. And what was abnormal in this case was that Morgan was suffering in silence from an extremely rare form of a neurological disease. Well, and Kathleen, I love how your book really weaves all of these together because there are these are complicated issues and it's not just Slenderman. It's not just Morgan's schizophrenia. It's not just her being a teenager, but all of it coming together. And um, I wanted to talk about one more thing, the, the issue of the teenage brain. And then we'll get into sort of what happened in the criminal system. I appreciate sort of how your 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 book lays all of this out beforehand and all of this weave together. Um, her adolescence and her schizophrenia and her wanting to believe something that isn't real to to calm the voices down in her head. But also, can we talk about the the preteen brain? I mean, we really talk about the teenage brain, but these girls were 12 when this happened and 11 when they were sort of planning it and thinking about it. So 
what is the brain like and, and how is how does that factor into all of this? Yeah, so one of the issues in this case was that uh, the state of Wisconsin prosecuted these two 12-year-old girls as adults, which, you know, in Wisconsin, children 10 and older are prosecuted as adults automatically in uh, cases of violent crime and attempted homicide. So what happened in court was that Morgan says lawyers found themselves in a position where they had to prove that the girls were children. And what I saw a lot of were uh, doctors and experts in child development standing up and talking about the child brain. And our brains develop from from back to front. And the front of our brains are what uh, allow us to make decisions based on potential future consequences. So when you are 12, for instance, you do not understand, you cannot understand, you are developmentally incapable of understanding that death is permanent. And that's why maybe some of us remember reading uh, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and and fantasizing about uh, attending our own funeral. Um, Because you don't think that someone dies forever when you're that little, because your brain is undeveloped and our brains don't stop uh, developing until we're about 25. So at the age of 12, it's all, you're almost less mentally developed than you were at 10 because on top of having a child's brain, you're going through huge hormonal changes that make you especially susceptible to outside influences. Um, and so Morgan and Anissa did not have the skills biologically to understand what would happen to them if they did this. They did not understand that it would kill Bella forever. Morgan seemed to think that they would go back to being friends at the end. And they made plans to escape to Slenderman's mansion, which they had decided was 300 miles north of Waukesha. And they were going to walk there, they thought, because they had child brains and could not think clearly. They thought they were going to walk there without any camping supplies, without a map, without a phone, without a compass. All they brought with them were maxi pads and granola bars. And so that just gives you a little bit of a picture of where their child brains are at. And then in response, the state of Wisconsin prosecutes them as adults. Because in Wisconsin, we have this idea that if a child commits a quote-unquote adult crime, they have to serve an adult time. And what I kind of came up against again and again is what is adult and what is mature about any crime? Why does that become a rite of passage for our children where they suddenly grow up and they need to be thrown into an adult prison? And of course, the reason for these laws has nothing to do with science. They are based on a slender man type theory called the super predator theory that emerged in the 90s. And this theory was touted by John DeLulio Jr., a sociologist at an elite college. And he decided that uh, kids in urban areas were becoming sociopaths because of the moral poverty, quote unquote, that they were growing up in. And there was a lot of coded language about this. But um, essentially, he admitted two years after the theory was widespread that he had made up everything. It was all made up. He, he, he lied and he admitted that. But by then, everyone had collaborated. Politicians had collaborated across the aisle to put his theories into law, and those laws exist to this day. Well, and I think what's so interesting is, as as you're reading the book and going through it, you understand why Morgan believes Slenderman is real, 
right? And you're like, okay, so she has schizophrenia plus her her the challenges of a 11-year-old, 12-year-old brain. And there's so many times where I'm wondering, as you're reading along, does Anissa think this is real or not? And I like how the book highlights the complexity of it. She sort of thinks it's real. She sort of thinks it doesn't. She, When she stopped and calm and talking with adults and her first interrogation with the police, she says... She she acknowledges Slender Man isn't real. And yet she still lives her demonstration shows she still lives in fear because she's worried Slender Man is coming to get her because they didn't successfully kill their friend and Slender Man's going to punish them for it. And so I just appreciate the complexity of it's really hard to tell what reality is sometimes when you're so deep in something that has such a strong emotional impact. I mean, these Girls were afraid. They were afraid for their life and acting because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're saying, there's a very fine line between adolescence and insanity. It's one of the things that I explore in this book. Um, And another thing I explore is neurodiversity. Um, Morgan could not have committed this crime without Anissa. She was so disabled by her schizophrenia uh, in the weeks, in the weeks immediately preceding the crime that she could barely string together a sentence without losing her train of thought. So Anissa helped Morgan by reading these quote-unquote articles. They're actually just stories online about Slenderman and breaking down the reasoning and and telling Morgan sort of what to believe and what to think. Anissa was was also neurodivergent. Um, She would later turn out to have a pretty severe learning disability that makes her especially susceptible to conspiracy theories. And things were going on at home for her that that paved the way for her to develop a codependent, enmeshed relationship with Morgan. And so Anissa's perception of the situation, perception of reality changes uh, depending on who she's talking to. Yeah. If she's talking to an adult and they think Slenderman is fake, then she wants to please them. She thinks Slenderman is fake. If she's talking to Morgan, who thinks he's real, then she believes he's real. Um, And so that was something that came out in court also is Anissa's IQ and how that factored into her getting wrapped up in this crime. But Morgan could not have done it on her own, you know, uh, because Morgan's disability was was so extreme by the end that she could barely hide it anymore at school. And she required a lot of caretaking, both from Peyton and Anissa. We're talking right now with Kathleen Hale. She is the author of the new book, Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls. We're going to take a break for a second. I want to remind everyone it is Pledge Week. And if you want a copy of this book, we will raffle it off to everyone who pledges this hour. And we are looking for five pledges this hour. We already have one, but we are looking for four more. And then everyone who pledges can is entered in the raffle to win a free copy of this book, Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls. Tim, you and I are sitting here. We have kids of our own at, these are the intense conversations that we look for at Wart. Uh, nowhere else does w- these conversations. Well, that's that's very true. And and <clears throat> one of our sons has been battling with uh, with depression as well and ADHD before that. So uh, all of the all of the content on the public affairs programs that that we bring you every day here on WORT is very relevant to 
uh, to you and your family, and we really appreciate it. And today is your opportunity to show your appreciation with your financial support by calling us at 608-256-2001. One thing I wanted to talk about is the diversity of programming. You know, today yeah. it's all about uh, public affairs and, and the programs that, that come your way to inform and enlighten you. But as a regular listener of WORT, you know about the great wide variety of programming that we have here. We're not just a, a station that plays country music all the time or solid gold rock and roll all the time. We've got a wide variety of, of programs for you, country music, jazz music, great soul music, all kinds of uh, great news and public affairs here. So what I like to say is that we offer something for everyone with everyone's help. And so Absolutely. your financial contribution goes not only to a public affair, although specifically it will today, but it also goes to help support all of the other great programs that we have here on WORT. Absolutely. And we've been a great uh, resource for you for, for many, many years. And with your help and support, we will continue to do that. You may ask, well, where does the money go? Well, uh, where does the, the money thing, go, Tim? One of the things that we are really trying to uh, occupy is to get uh, new soundboards for our production studios. We are Yay! 75% of the way to our $80,000 goal to get two soundboards for our studios. Now, they are expensive, obviously, and the ones that we have are old, they're tired, they're dying, they need to be retired, and without these, we are off the air, and we have $20,000 left to go towards the purchase of those soundboards. So again, you want to know where the money goes. This is part of where the, the money goes Absolutely. and your financial support helps make it all possible. Area code 608-256-2001 or wortfm.org. And I mean, Tim, I love that you talk about the variety of things that we do and improving the soundboards will help make sure everything we do goes forward. And I will, I will say... What I love is also the variety in our news shows. We talk with local news about local things that are happening, the mayor, the members of the city council, the school board races, the local assembly issues that are really happening, the nitty gritty. And then we also have national and global conversations, right? When we talk about democracy now, when we talk um, the show after this one, um, letters and politics. So our political conversations are broad and varied. Our music conversations are broad or varied. I am, I mean, I think everyone can guess this. I'm named after the musical carousel. I love um, Better Living Through Show Tunes. For a second, I forgot what it was called. One of my favorite shows, only on WRT, do you get the Better Living Through Show Tunes? You can listen to show tunes all day long. It's pretty fabulous. Um this is why we love WRT, and this is why we need your support. Five pledges is our goal today. We have four more to go. We know we can get it. And again, if you pledge during this hour, you are entered into the raffle to get a free copy of the Slenderman book. Area code 608-256-2001, WORTFM.org. Tim, what is your favorite music to listen to on WORT? Oh, that's really hard. Um... I, I love uh, Back to the Country with Bill Malone oh, and I Bobby. I mean, that's terrific. They have a new book coming out soon that's been uh, two years in the in the making, and that's coming out very soon. Um, I love the uh, the jazz programs. 
uh, every afternoon. I love the big band stuff on Saturdays, the, the, the soul music, the uh, best soul music on the planet that comes your way Saturday mornings from 8 to 10. Uh, I love the variety. I, I can't say it's just one that, that I really like because I do love the, the variety, and, and it it comes your way every day. There's going to be something different here on Wart, and that's, uh, that's terrific. That's terrific. And you make it possible. We have live music here. I mean, every once in a while we'll have you know, musicians come here to the studio oh, and yeah. play live on the air. And I mean, it's, you know, you just you just don't get this kind of stuff uh, anywhere with your uh, other with your run of the mill uh, stations in town. So all the uniqueness, the variety and, and the quality that makes uh, WRT very, very special. Again, it's all made possible with your financial support. So thank you very, very much. And we're going to get to back to Kathleen and our, our book in just uh, 10 more seconds here, but I want to remind everyone, we have one pledge so far. We are looking for four more pledges this hour, but also, no matter when you're listening, I know there are so many people that listen to this show um, from the WRT website after the show has already aired. You can always pledge at any time at WORTFM.org. So please do so. All right. Let's get back to our conversation with Kathleen Hale and her new book, Slenderman, an online obsession, mental, online obsession, mental illness, and the violent crime of two Midwestern girls. Um, Kathleen, let's sort of now shift gears and talk about the uh, criminal process and the criminal system. And it just made everything worse. And you talked a little bit about it um, earlier, but... They were allowed to interview Morgan and Anissa, the two girls who stabbed their friends. They were 12 years old at the time. They interviewed them one-on-one without attorneys, without their parents. They didn't even tell their parents what was happening. Is that unique to Wisconsin? Just sort of a gasp when you read that part, when you think that that's happening. Yeah, uh, in Wisconsin, police are legally allowed to interrogate young children without any kind of advocate present, unless the child specifically requests an attorney, which you can probably guess is not the sort of thing. I mean, I don't even I don't even think my kids would think of doing that. And I am an attorney. I mean, (laughs) really, kids don't think of that. Why would they think of that? Right. No, they just want to please the adult that they're with and do the right thing. Um, so they were Mirandized, uh, something, I mean, even adults have difficulty understanding the language of Miranda rights. Um, and in Morgan's case, she was paired with a detective named Detective Casey, and he absolutely hated her. Um, by the time she was arrested, Morgan was entering into full-blown psychosis as a combination of uh, the schizophrenia that had been mounting towards psychosis inside of her, but also the result of the trauma of the attack, uh, which sort of sent her symptoms into overdrive. So anyone who watches the videotaped interrogations can see that Morgan is hallucinating, um, having trouble understanding things. She's extremely unemotional, uh, which is actually a symptom of psychosis. Your brain is so busy doing other things that you can't feel anything. And Detective Casey interpreted her un- uh, her flat affect as a lack of remorse. Mm-hmm. He thought he was evil. 
he was, you know, a man who believes in God and the devil. And he thought that Morgan was under the sway of some kind of powerful dark force. So unfortunately, she was paired with him. He couldn't even look at her. He didn't make eye contact. He was sharp with her. He lied to her. He lied to her parents about uh, why he was talking to her. Um, He was told that Morgan hears voices by Anissa. Anissa mentioned it five minutes into her own interrogation. Nothing was done. Uh, Morgan's just so confused in these videos. Uh, She's clearly struggling to understand where she is. She doesn't even fully understand that she's been arrested. There's a moment where she seems to forget her own name. Um, And even after Morgan's diagnosis, which occurred post-arrest, Casey doubled down on his feelings, his negative feelings toward her. He testified against her in court, saying that she was a psychopath or a sociopath. He went on ABC 2020, um, I guess wanting some attention, and said the same thing about her. (laughs) After railroading her in the interrogations, Casey even called an exorcist for advice on what to do next. Um, And so this is just one very specific example of a cultural tendency to demonize mental illness and to see people who are sick as being evil. Well, and it also shows, I mean, this was the first step of the criminal system and how it uh, sets the road for every, you know, path that happens afterwards. And I want to actually read um, a paragraph from the book. I'm, re- I'm going to read just one little paragraph that is a little bit of what you just talked about, the reaction from Casey after interviewing her. Again, I'm reading a passage from Slenderman, Online Obsession, Mental Illness and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls. The detectives would later explain that they had trusted Anissa, but not Morgan, because when Anissa spoke, Trussoni recalled feeling like, all right, I am talking to a 12-year-old. Whereas when Casey sat down with Morgan, he thought, I have a daughter that's almost the same age as her. Like, she could be my daughter. But then she started saying things that were really very eerie, hearing them come out of a 12-year-old's mouth. Trussoni was gentle with Anissa, even guiding Anissa towards expressing guilt and remorse. But Casey grew increasingly irritated with Morgan. Her flat affect struck him as heartless, her self-professed confusion and attempt to shrug off blame. While Anissa acted like a little girl, sniffling and talking in a pitched voice, Morgan Morgan spoke in lower monotone. In later interviews, Casey said... Other officers would describe her as a psychopath. I just find that here's someone dealing with incredible trauma, incredible, um, I mean, obviously the victim. (laughs) Let's not lose sight of the victim is incredibly traumatized and injured in all of this. But we're dealing with a little girl, a 12-year-old little girl going through psychosis and the response from the criminal system is not to try and understand why, but to try and say, you did this and you're a psychopath. Yeah. And to to take all those steps based on a fake theory um, that was peddled by a man who admitted that his theories were made up and uh, lies. So, um, you know, in Wisconsin, we might think that we're voting for tough on crime laws because they work but we're actually getting swept up in a conspiracy theory that was debunked decades ago. Well, Um, and um, Kathleen, I want to talk about then sort of like the system-wide failure then. Uh, So they're stuck now being tried as adults and 
all the impacts of that is then they can't get support in the criminal justice system. They can't get any of the tools that they need to be treated um, appropriately, therapy, classes, peers, uh, peer interaction, because now they're pulled out of the youth system. Talk to us about that. So children who are adjudicated as adults, what happens to them is that they lose all access to juvenile programming. So Morgan and Anissa spent their pre-incarceration in the Washington County Detention Center, the juvenile jail that's over there. And other and their peers in the jail, although I, I hesitate to call them peers because Morgan and Anissa were the youngest kids in jail by a long shot, but they were in jail in certain instances with, you know, young pedophiles, 16-year-old boys who had raped children or been caught with child pornography. And these boys were given access to services like therapy and, um, and group work and a social worker would uh, help them navigate a very sort of tough bureaucracy and make sure that their needs were met. And, and then, they were, then they exited the jail and went back into their communities without any record. Um, Morgan and Anissa, on the other hand, because of being charged as adults, did not have access to any juvenile resources. They didn't have therapy. They didn't have a social worker. They didn't have anything. And I just found that to be a very stark contrast there, the way that we treat our, our young male uh, rapists and attackers versus the way that we treat these children who are clearly suffering and otherwise would not have committed acts of violence to begin with. And what's really fascinating you talk about in the book is how um, Morgan, when she finally was diagnosed as schizophrenic and did have access to uh, medical care, she was denied access to medication, even though they knew she was dealing with it. And um, I want to read one more quick section on there. Uh, in the book, you write, when asked how withholding medication might affect someone in psychosis, child psychologist Dr. Stephanie Brandt responded, quote, oh, my God, we don't eat, we don't ever withhold medication from somebody in an acute psychotic state. It's not done to withhold medication is unacceptable and it would potentially it would potentially any problems she is already having. I mean, it, and there's quotes and quotes that go on from other doctors that it is unheard of, the thought of we've now finally diagnosed someone, we know they're schizophrenic, we know they have a problem, and yet they didn't give her medication because their goal wasn't to treat her, their goal was to make her ready, quote unquote, for court, and they didn't want her to be over-medicated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of different medical professionals... Um, failed Morgan during this time, but really it came down on Judge Boren, the judge on her case. Morgan was sent to Winnebago Psychiatric Institute not long after her arrest, very, very shortly after. I mean, every, it was clear to everyone, including the guards at her jail, that she was hallucinating and in psychosis. But when she went to the hospital, she was there per Bo Judge Boren's order. She was there to learn about the court system to be restored to competency, which is a legal term. And until a defendant competent not stand for mm -hmm. So the goal was to get her to criminal trial as fast as possible. And like I said before, people with schizophrenia can still learn things. They can still kind of exist in both worlds, even in psychosis. So Morgan had always been very smart and she was able to learn quite quickly in the hospital. Although actually I, it's not quickly at all. It took her six months to learn who's the judge, who's the, who's the defense attorney, who's this, who's that. Cause she's so 
disorganized in her thoughts and so confused. And after all of this, the hospital dispatched her with an prescription for albuterol for her asthma, but no antipsychotics that could treat the underlying causes of the psychosis. And that's because of Judge Boren. Judge Boren has been a staunch conservative for his entire life. As we know, unfortunately, up until very recently, uh, mental illness has been a politicized issue where uh, far right-wing voter bases often do not even believe that it exists, although we're getting closer to discussing it now, which is so exciting. Uh, Judge Boren also loves the theater. So by the time I started showing up at his hearings, he was allegedly having his mustache professionally styled before he entered the courtroom. He drank out of a Ronald Reagan mug while refusing to move Morgan and Anissa's case to juvenile court, even though both girls were 12. In Wisconsin, judges are elected and Boren was going to be up for re-election soon and his voters believed in tough on crime punishments. And so that fed into his decision-making, obviously. Yes. And what yep. he decided was that Morgan and Anissa should face up to 100 years in an adult women's prison he also made decisions and signed paperwork that resulted in Morgan not receiving antipsychotic meds for 19 months. And this was during a time that she was so confused, she became afraid of her own bed. And psychosis is so bad for a person's brain. And Judge Boren made these decisions despite knowing that psychosis causes brain damage. And so as a result of his decisions, Morgan lost the ability to read and do basic math during this point in time. And this is a girl who was doing really well in school. It's it's pretty astonishing the impact of how, you know, society dropped the ball collectively that got us here, uh, that that got to the stabbing, uh, and then society exacerbated the problem. They when they finally learned about it and it's horrible tragedy had happened and they they knew that the child needed help and support and medication they exacerbated and made the problem worse and i want to talk about in our in our final moments here kathleen i want to really talk about the public and the public's role in this and you talked about that a little of right this is someone a judge who's elected and this is a system where we all want to believe you know, in the devil and the bad guys. Otherwise, how do you make sense of the horrible things that happen? And the public seemed to, you know, go along with this and in general almost mocked mental illness. Um, the prosecutor mocked mental illness. There were comments in social media really vilifying these girls and not and saying they're sort of faking it just to get out from what they did. What's your sort of take on this now as we move forward and the role that the public did play and could keep playing and and how we as a society can can reshape that? Yeah, the public in this case, uh, they they didn't just support Morgan's adult prosecution. They thought it was too lenient. What they thought should happen to her is that she should receive the death penalty, which as we know has been outlawed in Wisconsin for a hundred years. Um, and so that really gave me a sense of how angry Judge Boren's voter base was. Uh, and that, again, it fed into the way that he made decisions, unfortunately, um, because an elected judge cannot make their own decisions. Uh, they have elections to think about yeah and so i am hopeful though that mental illness is coming out of the closet in in certain ways especially this year as we start to discuss gun violence um you know the the right is trying to pivot away from 
gun reform by bringing up mental illness. And while that's, you know, messed up in certain ways, and of course, the ideal thing would be for us to be able to talk about guns. um, It's a relief that they're bringing up mental illness and that we're starting to acknowledge it across the aisle because we really do need to stop, start talking about it. And I think also thanks to people like Simone Biles and Pete Davidson, celebrities who are becoming more open about mental illness, we might actually um, be able to start talking about these things and uh, to factor them into our decision-making when it comes to criminal cases, especially. But it was shocking. It was shocking to me to see how Shocking, but not surprising, I guess, having grown up there to see how much people hated Morgan and her family and how much they literally wanted her to die. Mm-hmm. I can understand uh, Peyton Leutner's, Peyton Leutner feeling that way. I can understand her family and friends and, and, and feeling that way as well. But it, it shouldn't dictate our justice system, you know, the, the retributive uh, voice in, in those victimized people should not become... The, the only voice in our courtrooms. Yeah. And right now, is. we have a very revenge-focused justice system that was set up in service of rehabilitation, but we lost that goal so long ago in terms of how we we have reformed <laughs> prison systems for the worse yeah. and reformed the laws in the wrong direction. Well, Kathleen, it's been amazing talking with you. Thank you so much for writing this book, for having these conversations through your book and here with us today and all the conversations that you're having about your book um, across the state and country. And I wanted to put in a quick plug. You will be here in person in Wisconsin. You'll be at the Wisconsin Book Festival on October 15th at 430 at the Central Library in Madison, where people can talk with you and learn more about... uh, the work that you did to put this book together. Again, thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We've been talking with Kathleen Hale. She is the author of Slenderman, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crimes of Two Midwestern Girls. And, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to our show and and joining us for this conversation. It is not too late to pledge to support. I mean, a really heavy and a really important conversation to have. We now have another another supporter. Megan has uh, pledged. Thank you so much, Megan. And Megan is getting the sweatshirt because uh, fall is coming. It's cold, perhaps even indoors where you are right now. I'm wearing my sweater. Um, so please join Megan. Please join William Keith. Please join us in supporting our work at area code 608-256-2001. Tim, what are you thinking? Well, Rochelle brought in two more pleasures. So oh, we yeah. Bell again. So we Wait. want to really thank uh, Stephanie Staggerwald for her uh, pledge. Her favorite shows on Ward are News and the 8 o'clock buzz and Democracy Now. We also have an anonymous donor who is also getting that Ward funky purple hoodie. And uh, his favorite shows there are Rockin' John and Melon Floyd. So again, it's, yeah, yeah, Rock and John on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock, or excuse me, that's Saturday night. Saturday night on, on that one. Um, so again, the the wide variety of, of programming that we have here. And I just wanted to talk a minute about the, the wonderfulness of, of interactive radio that we have here at, at WORT. It's yes. not just where we just sit and, and just talk at you all the time with our, with our programs, but you are able on these public affairs programs to call in and express your opinion and ask a question or something like that. Interactive radio is what we're all about here. It's a two-way street. 
And one of the ways that you can also help support that is with your financial contributions at 608-256-2001. If you want to put it on PayPal, that is wonderful, but we have to do that online. So WORTFM.org for that. We do have a number of wonderful premiums and thank you gifts for you, starting at the $45 level and all the way up to the $150 level for the Word Funky sticker hoodie. And our wonderful volunteers on the phones will be able to tell you about those. So, again, thank you very much for supporting public affairs here on WART. And we have four pledges so far. We need five for our goal. We are so close. One more pledge. One more pledge. I want to, again, thank Karen and Van um, and Mary Jo for staffing the phones. I want to thank Willie Street Co-op for donating the fabulous food that we have here. And, of course, a huge thank you to Tim joining me here in the studio. A huge thank you to Megan for engineering, Rochelle for producing, Sholly, our news director, the whole team. Everyone here, it can't be done but uh, without everyone all together. But so many of us are volunteers, and we do it out of love. This money goes straight to the studio, straight to the soundboards. This is what we need, area code 608-256-2001 or WORTFM.org. And don't forget, if you pledge this hour, you will be entered into a raffle to win yourself a copy of the book we were talking about, Slender Man. Really, really important. Tim, any final words here in our last 30 seconds? No, it's just been wonderful being here today and seeing everybody so again and, and uh, again doing what little I can to help support the uh, the quality programming and the continuation of uh, WART and its mission and being partners with you uh, out there in, in Madison as you have been uh, since the 1970s. So again, thank you very much for your financial support. We really do appreciate it. And I want to remind everyone you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Give us a call at area code 608-256-2001 and pledge. Power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly.